Today's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by DAZN, where you can find Change Up, a brand new live whip around show across the league presented by the MLB and DAZN. You can jump out of the best place, jump in and out as they happen, get expert analysis from hosts who bring a fresh personality, new perspective to the game, available on nearly any device. Getting set up is easy. Download the DAZN app in the Apple or Android app store. Sign up by creating an account. Start watching across any of your devices. You better do this soon because we got some big fights coming up on DAZN in September, November. Go to DAZN to sign up, D-A-Z-N. We're also brought to you by State Farm. Unlike your friends, State Farm agents love talking about home and auto insurance. In fact, there are over 19,000 agents ready to help your life go right through the ups, downs, everything in between. Check out statefarm.com today to find an agent in your neighborhood State Farm here to help life go right. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, the world's greatest website, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network, where if you love the NBA, we're going to be doing a bunch of Ringer NBA shows over these next couple weeks. We will have you ready for anything that might happen. Also, Ringer Dish, if you haven't listened to that one yet, our new celebrity culture feed. My favorite host on the whole entire Ringer Podcast Network will be on that feed this week. Who's that, Kyle? That's going to be Zoe Simmons, y'all. Zoe Simmons is back. Doing an episode of For Realsies. There's just a lot of teen stuff going on. Kyle, this might have been the best one she's done, right? Yeah. Definitely. Her and Liz Kelly? Most, it was the most eye-opening for me, for sure. Most eye-opening? Yeah. What was eye-opening? Give uh, us a little sampler. You just have to listen. There's like, it gets racy. I don't know. It gets racy? It gets racy. Am I going to be upset? Uh, not after I get my hands on it. I'll, okay. I'll All right, good. Uh, <laughs> you can subscribe to Ringer Dish right now on the Ringer Podcast Network. Coming up, we're going to talk to Mark Stein about uh, all the NBA free agency stuff that is in full bloom right now. And then we're going to talk to um, Michael K. Williams. Oh yeah. Omar is coming. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we had a member of the Doobie Brothers last week, Michael McDonald. Now uh, they're bass guitarist for many years from the New York Times, Mark Stein. How are you? I'm the least musical person in the world, <laughs> but I am sick of you. <laughs> Just doing everything on my bucket list, man. Oh, all, all the interviews you've always wanted to do? You, you did Apollo Creed. Yeah. Which I'm still reeling from, and that was like five years ago. And then I'm listening to this pod. You get to ask Michael McDonald about going on what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And nine year nine year old me pretty much imploded. Yeah, that was uh, that really was one for the kids from the seventies. Um, we are taping this at eleven oh one a.m. Pacific time. I would love to talk about the Doobie Brothers and what's happening for hours. By the way, not on YouTube, Mark Stein. How is that not on YouTube? Why so hard to find? It was forty years ago. I watched. I saw some bootleg clips. I, I actually watched it after you. Oh, I, I found it somewhere. I watched that after your pod. I watched the episode. Yeah, it's on oh, Daily Motion. Just go on YouTube. Somebody put that on YouTube what, for so America can whatever. enjoy it. It works. So it seems like Kyrie is in in Brooklyn, which we've known for a few weeks now. But the last like 48 hours, there's been a lot of KD is coming too. And I, I just want to start here. If the Knicks strike out on everybody this summer, 
after basically building to this for two years and then doing the Porzingis trade to open up even more cap space. And the Nets end up getting the two guys that we thought this whole season were probably ending up in New York playing for the Knicks. What does that say to you for the future of the James Dolan era in in the NBA and in New York? Does he, is this just beyond repair now? Is there no chance for them to ever come back as a franchise, as a player in any of this stuff? Or do you think this is an isolated incident? I'd love to believe that it's the wake-up call that will make anybody else who has any kind of say there step back and say, you know, we might need to revisit this ownership situation. I mean, he, you know... He strikes me as intractable, and you can't get him out. You can't get him out of there. But I mean, they just banned the Daily News from a press conference, which I didn't think was possible. Yeah. So, I mean, look. The one thing, the one caution I would say, as you said, Tuesday, eleven oh whatever Pacific, one in my time zone. Nobody knows anything right now, man. Nobody wants to admit that, but these teams are freaked out. Reporters like me who want to sit here and tell you we have all the answers, we don't. Wherever KD's going, I think only he knows at this point. The Knicks don't know what to think. The Nets aren't sure because they're still looking at, at backup options. Uh, you know, The Warriors still think they're in it. Nobody knows what KD's doing. Nobody knows what Kawhi's going to decide. I think Kyrie to the Nets is the closest thing to a sure thing as we speak. And I do still think they want him alone. I not buy the notion that they only want him if they're getting KD as well. They will happily take Kyrie if he's solo. But th- but of the of the three main guys, I think that's really the most we know at this point. All right, so let's let's go this way. What do we actually know? I think we know for sure that the Celtics think Kyrie is gone and they're okay with it and they've moved on as an organization and there's no chance he comes back. Do, can we say we know that for sure? They're certainly, that's the way they're operating. And I just reported, I think an hour before we got on the phone here that I just heard today that Kemba Walker is in the Celtic site. So if Kemba Walker is in the Celtic site, that's a pretty clear indication that they know Kyrie is going and, and maybe that goes the same for Rozier. So I was mad that you tweeted that and put that out because I was going to mention that to you in the podcast. You stole my thunder. I, I had been trying to figure out for a couple days. I enhanced, I enhanced your thunder. Yeah, you enhanced. You, I'm going to join I in on your thunder. Um, <laughs> I, I had been trying to figure out really since Thursday night when it became clear to me, I, I hated their draft as it was happening. And then by the end of it, realized what was going on. They were partially using those picks to create cap space. And I just couldn't understand what they were up to. And I had heard that Malcolm Brogdon was potentially a target, D'Angelo Russell. But I couldn't figure out why they wanted to get to a max number because there was only seven or eight max guys that you would really want to spend $35 million a year on or 34.8, whatever it is. I couldn't figure out who it was. And then over the weekend, it started to crystallize that it was Kemba. And there's, you know, real reasons for it. He he played at UConn. He's from New York. He's East Coast. And I think he's somebody that actually wants to win a title. And if you, if you think about it, like if you flip him for Kyrie from a chemistry standpoint, it's an unbelievable transformation. He does a lot of the closer stuff that Kyrie did. If the chemistry over the, ho- over the hole is better, that's great. Hayward is going to be, that was a two-year injury. We're now at two years. 
if he was a top 15 player three years ago, it's realistic to think he could be a top 40 or a top 50 guy this year. And then suddenly that it's starting to look like a Celtics team that could potentially at least be in the mix. I'm not saying they're a finals contender, but they're in the mix again. And it's not like this kind of, what the hell are we? Are we rebuilding? Are we retooling? What, what are we? Um, would that make sense for Kemba or what have, what have you heard? Well, I'll go two ways. What have you heard the loyalty to Charlotte and what have you heard for how important it is for him to go to a big market and play for a contender and all that stuff? Look, I thought he's in play. I mean, you know where I live. His name has been linked to the Mavs for weeks. Yep. The Mavs are definitely interested. The Mavs want him. Based on everything I had heard, the Mavericks were the team that Charlotte feared. I might amend that now that the Celtics are in the mix. I mean, I, you know, the immediate word after the draft was that your Celtics were going to look at a center. And, you know, Vucevic's name was bandied about, do they make a trade for Capella? So, you know, they've got this kind of floating cap space number, depending on what they do with Rozier. I mean, they can get to the full max if they need to. I mean, I guess I should ask you, are you comfortable with a full max for Kemba? Yeah. I think for four years, absolutely. I, I think he's one of the best 15 to 20 guys in the league, and it's a 30-team I league. I do really like him. I, I, I love his attitude, and I think the, the dude, is he's, he has really improved himself. I mean, he's made he's kind of like Paul George. He's made that really hard jump from yeah. very good to the superstar level, which is a really hard leap to make. I guess my one question, and I've said it about the Mavs as well, in Charlotte, Kemba has everything. The whole thing revolves around him, and we've never seen him have to play with other top players who, quote, need to be fed. Mm. And I think there's going to be a level of skepticism wherever if he leaves Charlotte, and I do think he's one of the guys, you know, of top 10 free agents, he's the guy in play to leave. It's a question we're going to ask. How is he going, you know, Tatum? Is he ready to, you know, split the, split the load with Tatum? Thing, you know, though, that question is, is out there. Well, I think with Kemba, I think the Celtics are a really fun fit for him. And even a fit that makes a little more sense than Dallas, although I think, you know, I, Dallas going with Doncic and Porzingis, that's great for anybody. But Stevens has proven over the last five, six years, and, and especially with Isaiah Thomas, but even like with guys like Jordan Crawford going way back that, you know, guards that can create their own shot, he is, he can really do some stuff for them offensively, you know? And I think that was one of the most frustrating things with Kyrie was Kyrie had the most tools you would ever want from somebody who can do all the stuff that the point guard seems to thrive in the Stevens offense. I think Kemba would be another guy like that. I think more importantly, the Celtics fan base and, um, and really the organization that was such a souring year last year, just, it was so unhappy and so frustrating. And, um, Kemba is just a, a fun guy to root for and a great character guy. And I think after what happened last year, they've really shifted back toward the character thing. And, and that, and well, you can see that, with the draft picks. Here, I've actually argued here do the Mavs, do the Mavs really want to go down this road? I mean, Luca and KP are your two. That's your your two main guys. Does Kemba really want to come here and and be the third guy? Can it work? I mean, I've raised big questions. Now, I will say the Mavs are an ultra confident bunch. Yeah, and you know, I have been scoffed at when I raised that, and they're convinced that it's a fit. 
and that they can make it work. And, uh, you know, they love the idea of two ball handlers and not putting it all on Doncic because last year the, I mean, the kid took on a, a ridiculous load running this team. So I still think the Mavs are very interested. But, yeah, I mean, the Celtics, it's an intrigue. I mean, it really is an intriguing it is an intriguing idea. Well, the cool thing with Kemba, whether wherever he goes, he is somebody that I think is in the prime of his career, right? He's going to turn 30 in May of next year. Um, you're probably getting two peak years from him, and then who knows after that. But these next two will be along the lines of what we had this year where he was almost 26 a game. Uh, he's a 44, 36, 85 percentage guy. But that was in an offense where he was really the only above average offensive player they had. And I think if I'm Dallas or I'm Boston, if I, especially if I'm Dallas, and the thing I would worry about is, all right, well, if, if we have Kemba, I want Doncic to be my closer. And Kemba is a guy who's been a closer the last few years. You know, Doncic is, I think, an MVP possible closer at some point in his career. And I, I would worry Kemba would maybe take away from that. But on the flip side, you could say, well, actually, if we, he's never played with two players like this before, and if he's an option and not the only option, could that unleash him? Could he be 15 to 20% more efficient offensively? You know, for him, he'd have to think, all right, I'm going to this team where they have two other really extraordinary offensive players, or I go to Boston where I'd probably be the closer. You know, I, on a good team that has a lot of offensive weapons, I would be shoved right into that closer role, which I'm comfortable with. With you know, yeah, there's more runway for him to be Kemba Walker at Boston. I had no question. Well, I don't think. I think probably I think probably a good. higher upside though in Dallas because I you know it's funny. I take shit now from Atlanta fans who are like, "Oh man, you were so wrong about the Doncic trade. We got Trey Young and Cam Reddish." It's like you guys lost that trade. Sorry, I like Trey Young, but Doncic is a future MVP. And it, that's just always going to be the reality of that. And they traded that away. No matter, I, I like Trey Young. I, I liked what we saw from him last year. I think he's a zero defensively, but I think offensively, he really has a chance to be a special player. He's not Doncic. And I, if I'm Kemba and I'm looking at the, the arc of this and like how fast it happened with Giannis, you know, you look at the NBA awards last night. I did the draft six years ago and Giannis was six nine. He grows to seven feet. Nobody ever imagined he'd make an all-star team. And six years later, he's giving the MVP speech. This stuff happens fast with young players. It happened fast with Durant. When they're when somebody's really great, they it starts happening like year three, year four. And I think with Doncic, I think there's real evidence it could happen, you know, two years from now. And if I'm Kemba, I would that would be really attractive to me. I think Doncic is a potential MVP. You just watched him for a year. You agree with that, right? I mean, you you know I was a fan before he even got here. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, look, the questions in Dallas are not about Doncic. It's all about Porzingis. I mean, the, the guy is, by the time he gets back on the floor, I think it will have been 20 months before he played in an NBA game. Yeah. And everyone looks fantastic. And, uh, you know, Nowitzki is the guy that I usually take his opinion on board as much as anyone and has done nothing but rave about what he's seen from Porzingis behind closed doors to practice because by the end of last season, Porzingis was back on the floor practicing, but it's still a big unknown. But I will say again, and I can't say it strong enough. The Mavs have, the Mavs are so confident that Kemba is a good fit and they can make it work. 
and it's basically any time I've suggested otherwise, it's sign, stick to soccer. We, you don't know what you're talking about. They, right. they, they want so. And look, the Mavs' free agent history, as everyone knows, is tortured beyond reason. They're going to hit a home run one of these times. They're not going to go over forever. So a Boston-Dallas face-off for Kemba would be really – I mean, it's not going to be the focus of free agency because obviously Durant and Kawhi, I mean, they're, they're the guys. They're the top two by some distance. But Boston versus Dallas versus Charlotte for Kemba would be, would be a pretty damn good undercard. The Charlotte thing makes no sense to me because if they sign him, they immediately become a luxury tax team. There's really no outs for another year. There's no road path for no road path, no path for him to really be on an elite team for at least two years there. But what are they if he goes? I mean, if they, I mean, I'm with you all that. That's all totally true. Are they even a franchise without? Yeah, no, but this is the decade where. Nobody thinks that way anymore. Players, players, you know, we, this is the player empowerment decade. He's not going to, we always think these guys are going to feel loyalty to whoever. And I'm sure he loves Charlotte. Oh, but if he le- I think if he leaves though, it's because <laughs> if he leaves, it's because they're not giving him the full max. You know, if they put the full max on the table, that's a hard thing to walk away from. If, if they put, I know, but you can't you know, do that. Full- you can't do that. If you're Charlotte. I, I, I personally think that would be abject insanity to pay the luxury tax year after year for a team that has no chance to compete for the title. I, anybody who pays the luxury tax and has no chance to win the title is insane. It, that's just an insane thing to do. Nobody should do that. And I am a big proponent of spend money. As you know, I was the all-time, I can't believe OKC traded James Harden to save a couple million bucks. Like, but but to pay the luxury tax when you have zero chance is nuts. And I think it'd be nuts for him to stay there. I really do. I at some point you you gotta find out how good you are as a player, I think. You can be just toil away for years. Like he should go call Mitch Richmond and ask Mitch Richmond how it worked out for him. You know, Mitch Richmond just made the Hall of Fame. He never really played a meaningful, you know, conference finals game or a finals game by the time he got to the Lakers, he was washed. And was that a good thing for him? He should call him and ask him because I think in Dallas or in Boston, he would have a chance to compete. And I don't, if I were him, I don't know what I would pick. What do you think? Boston's had a couple rough years here with, with uh, how they've handled players and the Isaiah Thomas thing um, that he played injured. I don't know how they diagnosed the injury, but it, that part certainly wasn't great. And they definitely changed the training staff after that. Um, they traded him when he was injured goods. They traded him after all the stuff he had done for him. And I, I think that really soured a lot of people. Now you look at what happened with Kyrie. Um, now you look at that Danny's reputation of, oh, he'll trade anybody. Nobody's safe. Like, do you think players, after a while, word gets around like, yeah, that team, great organization, but the moment they don't need you anymore, they'll get rid of you? Oh, I do. I, I don't think there's any question, but... Yeah, the Celtics also have not been a free agent haven. I mean, they, they got Horford. And, and Hayward. Huge. Horford and Hayward and, were two huge catches, though. And before that, it was... Nobody. You know, I can't I can't remember. Dominique. And, <laughs> Broken down <laughs> Dominique. We got him. <laughs> we got uh, <laughs> Travis Knight. We did pulled they, him did down. Did they get Hayward? <laughs> did uh, they get Hayward without Brad Stevens? I'm guessing not. So, 
Uh, no, but I, mean, I, I look. I think I say the same thing about the Rockets. I mean, if you're a Rockets fan or you're a Celtics fan, you must love that your team. You just you know your team will just keep doing anything and moving. Will move any piece necessary to keep getting the team better. But I say the same thing about the Rockets. It's it's got to be so unsettling right now to be a Rocket. You know, D'Antoni doesn't have a new deal. They just changed all the coaches. They were shopping everybody, not James Harden, or at least they were. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any question that players are paying attention to that. Yeah, I think players are more educated on how the league works than they've ever been before because of social media, podcasts, um, what they read. It's easier to just find content. Remember, like, last decade, you just basically bookmarked different sites you liked. And if somebody wrote something that uh, was out of that little bookmark circle that you had, the only way you're really going to find out if it was on a place like Hoops Hype or if, or if a friend mailed it to you. And now anything you write or tweet is going to become a thing immediately. Like you did that Kemba tweet this morning and everybody saw it within an hour, you know, and that's just the world we live in now with, with information. And I do think the Celtics, this is a pretty damaging two-year run for them. They made the wrong bet on Kyrie. Horford leaving is not great because I do think he's one of the most respected NBA guys in the whole league. That's why I thought Dallas might be interested in him, but it really doesn't seem like they're on him at all. Well, that's the, that's a mystery, man. Look, I've been trying to solve that one for a week and I'm, I am no closer to the answer. I mean, on, I think it was draft night or the night after I was told Horford four one twelve. He's got it. Okay. Where? I don't know. The maps keep coming up over and over and over again. I've literally asked them five times. They, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's the maps. You know what's crazy? We always talk, remember like two years ago, there was that whole thing about they should have free agency before the draft. It would make things so much easier, make it easier for teams to plan. Everything. Now we're, we basically do have free agency before the draft. The Celtics went in that draft knowing that Kyrie and Horford weren't coming back. And that's the first time I can remember a team heading into the draft, whatever kind of knowing day, what it looked. Day the Hawks, whatever day the Hawks and Nets made that trade, that was the start of free agency. What, what, whatever date that was, June 10th. Right. You know. And I got to say, I think the league kind of likes it. It's definitely one of those, yeah, let's look the other way. I know the speed limit says 55, but if you want to go 80 on this stretch of the highway, we're, we're cool with that, you know? I think right, they like, like the daily meetings. stuff. We, we know we know a handful of meetings have already been set. They just haven't leaked out. Like, does it really matter that they're set well, five, six days before they're supposed to? I, you know. Well, and also, like, the, the players are all texting each other. You know, that was how the Celtics knew for sure that Kyrie was gone. He was out recruiting dudes to come to Brooklyn with him, you know? And whether he actually ends up in there, I don't know. But it was definitely one of those things like, hey, man, I got this extra max spot. You interested? And that's the league we live in now. And these guys, <clears throat> it's very easy for them to get in touch with each other. And and that's how they roll. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break. Hey, let's take a break to talk about a whole lot of the tasty new fruit, nut, and seed bar from Cliff Bar. A soft-baked snack bar with an awesome nutty texture and big, bold flavor combinations. Whole lot is packed with whole ingredients you can taste in every bite. A great anytime snack bar for when you're hungry in between meals or need something delicious, convenient, and satisfying. Whole lot gets you through that midday slump. Has all the goodness you want. Pumpkin seeds, almonds, cashews, dried cherries, ginger. None of the stuff you don't want. That means no gluten, soy, dairy, or added sugar. 
packed with a whole lot of flavor, organic goodness, available in mouth-watering flavors like tart cherry almond, salted dark chocolate, roasted peanut chocolate, spiced almond ginger, packed with 10 grams of plant-based protein. Here's why I like it. I don't really like eating bars that much. This was actually like kind of an enjoyable experience. Wait, it didn't feel like a bar that was sitting in somebody's car for 10 months. It felt like they had just made it uh, pretty recently. And I know I know they're good because um, they're almost all gone from my office. So I actually have to get more. Visit cliffbar.com slash BS for 35% off a trial pack of Cliff Bar's new whole lot of bars. That is Cliff Bar with one F, cliffbar.com slash BS. What is the underground thing you're hearing right now that hasn't really surfaced as a major story yet as we head toward July 1st? I'm so focused on the overground. I haven't dug into the underground. I mean, but you know, seriously, I, I think the, I think the biggest, it's funny to me that we spend all year long. Ty, Kawhi's going to Clippers. Done deal. Durant and Irving, done deal. They're going to the Knicks. We, I mean, we, we talk about these things all year long, and we, what, what is today? June 25th, we get here, free agency is almost starting, and we really don't know. That, that fascinates me that we – and, it, again, it's not just us on the outside. I've got teams asking me. They don't know either. You know, everybody is nervous now. The Clippers – you, I mean, you, you go to Clipper games. I'm sure you felt it. I'm sure you heard it. There was un mistakable confidence that you could tangibly feel from these guys yeah. that they were getting Kawhi. And they still might. They are still the foremost favorite. But if you think the Clippers aren't worried knowing that Kawhi says, you know what, why don't I just do a one plus one and stay in Toronto and run it back and defend our championship? He could easily do that. And it would make a lot of sense. And, and you know what, as a basketball romantic, I hope he does. There was definitely I mean, a swagger I'm, with the clips, and I never knew for sure whether it was Kawhi, KD, Kawhi and KD, like what they were having, but they definitely felt like this summer good things were going to happen to them. And I thought I thought for sure it was Kawhi, especially after you bought the house, but I'm with you. If and look, Ballmer, he could go back. They got Jerry West. They've got a great front office. All we could, They still have never done it in free agency. The Clippers have never done it. Until I'm not going to talk about them getting two until they get one. Go get one first. Do you think? And then we'll talk. About it. Do you think players are gravitating toward organizations and ownership structures more than ever before? Because, like for Brooklyn and and the Clippers, those were teams that were, you know, forever persona non grata or had unproven commodities in markets, but it didn't really matter. And now because those teams were well run the last couple of years have become free agent players. And it doesn't feel like a coincidence, right? Well, I think it'll be easier to say that if the Knicks really do strike out, because if the Knicks strike out, they're going to say, we made that Porzingis trade with an eye, not just to this summer, but to the future. And we wanted flexibility, but look, I mean, that's, that's an amazing face off right there that the Knicks and the Nets both opened up two slots. And, and somebody's going home disappointed. I guess, you know, if the Knicks got Durant and the Nets got Kyrie, Kyrie we, we could call it a draw. But, I mean, imagine if one of them gets two and the other gets none in the same city. It's ridiculous. I mean, the Lakers, you know, I, the Lakers 
even before they got Anthony Davis, the Lakers were quietly insisting that they're in the Kawhi Leonard hunt. Right. Media people don't know what the hell you're talking about, mm. and we're right there in the mix for for for, for Kawhi. So I guess we have to see. Well, I mean, they have a chance, you know, in five days to prove us wrong. We've all thought it was Raptors or Clippers only for Kawhi. The Lakers think they're in there. I guess. I guess we'll see. What have you heard from New Orleans? Because they have cap space and an incredibly appealing situation all of a sudden in a whole bunch of I different ways. I have not heard this from New Orleans, but I've heard this theory posited by a, in, from some other teams. Could they be the Horford team? I mean, oh. could Al Horford just be the perfect mentor for young Zion? Wow. I, I, I thought for him, I thought Dallas or the Clippers, but yeah, New Orleans. That's interesting. And he just, man, if they got Horford. You got through Holiday, you got Zion, you got Al as the glue guy and the veteran save. Oh, I mean, man. Well, you that also. That is report that is, that is, that is theorizing. Well, but, you also have Griffin, who's, who's one of the smarter executives and probably understands he needs some vets there. Cause I thought the other one I thought was a possible was Redick. I think they're going to sign somebody like that and overpay them a little bit, a little like what Philly did a couple years ago with Redick and just get an adult in the room. And whether it's Horford or Redick or Horford and Redick, I mean, they do, they do have the cap space now. Um, I do think, I do think we should be taking them more seriously. I, I keep hearing the ta- the same teams getting thrown around, right? Clippers, Celtics, Mavs, Knicks and Nets. Um, who else am I leaving out? The Lakers. But the the I mean they uh the Pelicans are not that far away from being kind of dangerous. Like if you add Horford to that team, I think Zion's gonna be good right away. Holiday is already a top twenty five guy. Um, I don't know. Kind of like the but see, team. that's why that's why this is so delicious, because there are so many different ways it can play out. And it, and again, what do we know? We know Clay's staying with the Warriors. We think we know Kyrie will be in net. After that, what do we really know among the top guys? I, I don't think we know. I don't think we know anything. What have you heard from? Uh, I keep hearing Miami's get, name getting thrown around, as in a "Don't sleep on Miami." Yeah, look, they're going to get meetings with top guys because Pat Riley is just a force of nature, and there's just no way he's not. But I mean, which is which is quite a flex when you think about it. When you can't even imagine how the, the Heat are going to even create cap space, and would have to, and anything they do would have to be a sign and trade. And yet, I promise you, Riley will get a meeting or two with with some of these big names. He just will. Well, they have they have a roadmap because we have that J.R. Smith contract that I always mention on the pod, which I think which they do not have. No, but I'm saying they could trade for it within the next couple days, right? And waive that contract. And if they if they could somehow figure out a way to flip Whiteside for J.R. Smith, whatever else they would have to throw in. Um, and, the, and the Cavs would have to throw in some salary too. So it wouldn't be like they would be able to clear off the whole 27. But if there's some, some world where there's a Miami-Cleveland kind of deal and they threw in some future assets and we're able to clear some, some space any way, that's the only way I could see it happening. Because otherwise, they don't have the cap space. I, I just love that Riley's still going. He won't, he, he won't retire. He won't go out like this. He's determined to get one more good team in place. I love it. Do you think... I love it. KOC wrote today for us about uh, 
there's shades of 2016 here a little bit because you have a lot of teams with cap. The cap's going up. It's up to 109. And we could see some dumbass moves. You know, nothing on the earth makes me happier than teams overpaying guys and doing dumb things. Do you feel well, like... Also, I, I think the reason is, is because it's also wide open or theoretically wide open. Now, in truth, it ain't nearly as wide open as people think. If Kawhi does say, I'm going to stay in Toronto for one more year. I mean, if they bring Kawhi and Danny Green back and, and assuming Gasol stays, they've, they've basically got their core. And I think then they're the clear favorites. But I think the last two summers, we saw t- the last two summers are two of the best we've ever had in terms of a free agent frenzy. And that was when the Warriors were considered a lock. Yeah. You know, two years ago, we saw, you know, Houston trades for Chris Paul and Oklahoma City trades for Paul George with no guarantee they can keep him. And then this season, you know, every team in the, in the East, except your Celtics who would have but had no way to do it, all these teams in the East are making all their all-in moves. And this was the, this, that's two years in a row when the Warriors were a Vegas lock. Now with the, you know, with the title totally open, <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna see. We're gonna see some irresponsible spending. Well, I was thinking with Kawhi because I cannot figure out why he would do a one and one with Toronto after what just happened to Durant. That just right there, watching Durant, you know, fall down holding his Achilles oh. with the max contract, you know, seemingly going up in smoke, would be the impetus for somebody not to do the one and one, but. If Durant signs a four-year max deal anyway on July 1st, then if I'm Kawhi, I'm like, all right, I do the one-and-one, defend the title. It's the last stand for Toronto. We're all, we, most of these guys are getting old and they're on the, there's no way we could keep this team together anyway. And then I am the top free agent by far in 2020 because 2020 is not the greatest. It's certainly not like this summer. Um, and he's he's one of the big prizes this summer anyway. So it's not like it's not I mean like, a one and one still gives you a thirty six million dollar insurance policy. I mean it's obviously not as good as a five year max, but that's still a pretty a pretty nice insurance policy. I just think Kawhi's shown us that he doesn't care about the NBA norm. He's gonna do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. And if he wants to late if he wants to do the one and one or even I guess he could even do the two and one and that gets into the ten year max, but no, I mean, I, I mean, I will not be surprised if he does the one and one. I mean, it would be the rational thing to go for the full max, but he's, he's but already me, shown us that he he uses he plays by his own rules. But maybe it wouldn't be the rational thing if he knows he could get the full max anyway a year from now, and he goes in the one and one. That the total amount of money for those five years would be around the same anyway. You know, so it, I, I think this KD thing, what, however it plays out, is going to be really informative for somebody like Kawhi. And maybe Kawhi waits six, seven days. And if it turns out that max contract just isn't there for KD, I, th- I would personally be alarmed if I was Kawhi. I was like, oh, man. Well, here's the other, here's the other thing that just shows you. These top guys are on such a different planet to everybody else that, as, as you know, <laughs> that the... Uh, the Achilles injury is the worst thing that can uh, happen to a basketball player. The worst. And yet you still hear that none of Durant's suitors are backing down and out. Like they are willing to put whatever it takes on the table to get this guy. That speaks to just how 
ridiculously good he is that, you know, I I think anybody would do. I mean, you know, you're, you're not going to have him for a year, but if, if you bet on anybody to recover from this injury and be close to what he was, it's Kevin Durant. Yeah, even if he comes back 80% what he was, he's still better than Chris Middleton, 80% of Kevin Durant, you know? So you have to take it seriously. And, and if you're a team like the Knicks, where nobody wants to sign with you and this is your one chance to get somebody who, granted, isn't, you know, on crutches for six months, you have to think about it. Can we go through... I wanted to go through some free agents and play a little game of, do you think they'll be overpaid, underpaid, or properly played on as we look back on uh, on free agents, uh, like in right, like July 20th? All right, so Kawhi, KD, Kyrie, Clay, crossing those off. You can't overpay those guys. Yeah, we, they're getting whatever they're going to get. Jimmy Butler. Do you think he will be overpaid, underpaid, or properly paid? I think he's going to... I think he's going to get the max from someone because there are just too many slots to fill and too many teams are going to come up empty. So I, I don't think he has to worry that much. And the way he played in the playoffs, I think it's proper. I mean, he look, he's not everybody's cup of tea. There's no question about that. He can be a handful, but the dude is an undeniable difference maker. As as great as Embiid is when he hits the ceiling for all the potential Ben Simmons had, I mean, he was the steadiest guy in Philly. He was the most dependable guy, mm. and he got them to the absolute brink of beating the eventual champion. So people can knock him for, you know, whatever, you know, again, I, I don't think he's He's as culpable in Minnesota as the Wolves themselves are for that situation. Yeah. I still can't believe that after the way the previous season ended, they should have been looking to trade him. If they, the minute they got a whiff of his discontent, they should have been trying to trade him from May and June of 2018. They let it linger too long. They got way too little back for him. They did all that before whatever Butler did. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of his, and I... I, I think he's going to have a lot of suitors. I think four years he'll be properly paid with the max because that's just going to be the price. Five-year max from Philly, I feel like that would be a little overpay. But, I, but, it, but, it's, all, but it's like if you got to do it. Like if you got to beat off the competition, you have to do it. If, you, if the choice is losing him. You have to do it. I wouldn't give him the five-year max, though. I would give him five-year relatively close, but I, I, I just... I don't want to tie up my cap in those three guys because that's eventually where I'm going to be a year from now. It, it is interesting though. He did align himself with Embiid as, as that run went along in a lot of different ways, not, not so subtle. And that, and look, that man, if, if they're going to get Simmons under contract at some point and they can trade him if it doesn't work. I mean, I don't think it's like they're that, that they would be stuck with that three forever if it doesn't work. True. I mean, He's an, he's an get, asset. Get Simmons signed long-term, and then your options open up. That's fair. So you think Philly for him? As of this point, yeah. I yeah. Mean, all this these are, these are June 25th guesses. Nobody can hold us against this. This is just how we feel on June 25th. I think, I still think Clippers for Kawhi. I think KD and Kyrie go to Brooklyn together, and I think Clay stays in Golden State. You agree with that for? Sort of. 
Okay. I actually think Kawhi staying in Toronto. I think that's gaining steam by the day. Okay. Do not knowledge. I am not one of the select few who is left to have access to the inner sanctum of, of team Kawhi. So you read the just, tea leaves. I just, I, yeah, I just, I'm just thinking. Just why not do it for you know? It, I mean, look, he is such a different dude. If anybody walks away from the champ, you know, the defending champ, it's him. You know, he he's capable of anything. But I don't know. I just I think I think I do give the Raptors a chance to keep him. And 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 Durant, I'm just telling you, I just I can't even call it. I can't. You know, yesterday I reported that that you know the Nets are exploring. Can we make it Kyrie, KD, and DeAndre Jordan? You know, right. Durant loves DeAndre Jordan. Can they make it a trio? Will that make this thing more enticing to Durant? But I, I think one key thing on Kevin you got to pay attention to. He will not like the perception that he is joining Kyrie. If Kyrie goes to the Nets first, I don't know that that helps the Nets on Kevin Durant. I think Durant's got to go first, kind of sell it to himself. Yeah. So, I Look, I, I mean, the Nets, the, no question, the Nets are a bigger factor in this than anybody would have imagined. But I, I don't know. I, I'm, not ready to, I'm not ready to put my money down on that yet. Well, I've already put my money down on KD and the Knicks, and I think it's going to be a loser. Um, more overpaid, underpaid, properly paid. Kemba Walker, four years max. I think we both agree properly paid. Yeah. Yeah, properly paid. Five years, super max. I'm going to say overpaid. I, I, I think that's an incredibly dangerous contract for them. Your opinion is? I can't. Well, I, Charlotte's in a lose lose situation. If they do it for all the reasons you said, they're screwed. If they don't do it, I think they're screwed because they don't have. It's not like not doing it means they've got. You know, it, you won't you won't exactly be confusing the, the Hornets with Memphis. You know, Memphis is rebuilding with Morant. And JJJ, and they got Clark, and they've got a coach that no one had ever really heard of. But you know what? They're starting over with his youth and fun, and you know they're they're like they're the new Hawks. You know, it's not like Charlotte can do that if they let them go. So I, I, you know, I don't I don't like their path either way. I think Houston is hoping they sign him to the five year max because they'll be like, hey, you know, in December, if you if you're not happy with that contract. Uh, We'll give you Chris Paul for it. Shorter <laughs> deal. He can get out earlier. He's uh pretty good. Him and Jordan. Conspiracy Bill always has enough <laughs> to leave. That's pretty good. All right. I agree with you that Al Horford is gonna get four for one twelve because I think the Celts offered him somewhere in the three for eighty five to ninety range, and he was like, No thanks. So four for one twelve. But for also Al- that number is that number is like why is that number so precise? <laughs> Like, yeah, it's or so it's four weird. for 120, whatever it is. I got to say, and I love Al Horford. I'm Al Horford's biggest fan. I watched him for two years. I'm a giant fan. That's a really dangerous contract to go four years with him at huge money. I, those last two years, he, he's, he came into the league in 07. He's been weirdly in a lot of playoff games. He's been relatively healthy that whole time, but... Now we're at the point where he has some real miles on him, and I don't think it's realistic for him to deliver $35 million worth of value in years three and four. Year three, at least he's an expiring if it's a three-year deal. 
But man, um, I love I love that move for New Orleans if it's them. I like it for the Clippers if they can also if they also think they get Kawhi. But paying somebody a thirty seven year old center thirty five thirty six million dollars to me is is pretty desperate. Not yeah, but a, it's it's the but it, this is the market. I mean, there's what there's fourteen teams with real cap space, but there's it's Knicks and Nets, Lakers, Clippers. Let's extend it to Boston and Dallas. I mean. There are a lot of teams with money that players would like to throw New Orleans in there now. I mean, there's, you know, that's, that there's, there's going to be, you know, it's not like the years when, you know, the Hawks, like the Hawks, the Hawks are realistic. The yep. Hawks could have had pavilions in cap space. And they said, we're not getting anybody. We know that. Let's make trades. Let's use our cap space wisely. But this is a deal where there's seven or eight teams that are going to sign real free agents. So they're they're all going to be overpaid to some degree because you got to beat out competition. I guess he's played less games than I thought because he only played eleven games in two thousand twelve and twenty nine games in two thousand fourteen because he had bad injuries both those years. So he's he's over nine hundred, but you know he's he's been in the league now. This will be year four, year thirteen. I don't know. Maybe he could get it, three out of them. They got Aaron Nelson now. The, the vaunted Suns training yeah. staff is in New Orleans now. He'll be All right. Fine. I love Al Horford. I hope he gets paid. Pay Al Horford. He's great. D'Angelo. I thought, you, I thought you were the one. Aren't what? you the one who made up average Al? I thought that was you. No, I was the one defending him. That made me so mad. He's I so know. not average I'm Al. D'Angelo uh, Russell. Overpaid, underpaid, properly paid. I hate to say this about a fellow lefty. You know, I you know. Yeah, I love you love the lefties. lefties. But I, 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 I hate to say it. I'm still not sold. I know he had a great season mm. last year. I'm going to say overpay. I'm just, I'm not there yet. I'm just not. Maybe I'm unfair, but I'm not there yet. I like what he saw, what he showed last year. Obviously, did not love him in the playoffs, but that was also his first taste of that kind of spotlight. I like that he's four years younger than Kyrie, and I agree with uh, what our pal Zach Lowe wrote about. You know, just from a pure value standpoint, he's probably Kyrie's probably worth eight million more. But when you bring in the intangibles and the fact that we actually saw Russell be a willing chemistry guy last year and not really care who got who got the acclaim or who was finishing games, stuff like that, I, I, that stuff carries a lot of weight with me. If he goes to Minnesota, if they carve out the space for it, which I think. I think they're going to potentially have, right? Doesn't Minnesota, they have enough space to be a player, correct? Yes. I mean, they've been linked to him. I don't know how reliable that is, but I mean, that, that has been banned. I was thinking Minnesota or Phoenix were the, are the two teams that seem logical to me as suitors. I don't, I do think Rubio, Rubio to Indiana, because Indiana is another D'Angelo team. Yeah. But it seems like Rubio is higher on their, on the Pacers list. Maybe they think he's more gettable, and that's why. But I got a question for you. Is Kyrie now taking so much grief for what he did to that locker room that he's actually going to come back and be a different dude with his next employer? I mean, I, I actually think he'll be great for a few months. And it'll be like, oh, my God. It was the Celtics' fault. And it, it'll just be October, November, December. He'll be amazing. He'll, he'll score 29 a game. And he'll say all the right things. He'll be an absolute mensch to everybody who comes up to him. And just talk to me in about month 13, month 17, that range. Because I think 
I think what, what, uh, I, I just think it'll eventually turn now. What's the thing to me though, is, you know, from what I've been told, Dinwiddie, who I love that dude and what, I mean, what a great contract he's on. He's apparently been a key recruiter in this Kyrie thing. So I guess what that says to me is that the net players are really on board with this. And, you know, last year they were team chemistry and, you know, we're all, we're all cast off and we're young and we love each other. And, we're, yeah. you know, we, we're greater than the sum of our parts, but like they really seem to want this. Well, I guess you'd have to look at it like what made the Kyrie thing go south if it wasn't his fault? And maybe part of it was there might have been a clash with him and Stevens with how offensively they wanted to play. I'd always heard that. I'd always heard he wanted that to, to be used more like James Harden in Houston and Stevens is a big ball movement. Everybody touches it guy and is not a, not really ball stopper friendly. That's not how they want to play. So maybe that's a small piece of it, but it, it doesn't explain how unhappy that team was. It also doesn't explain what happened to him in the Milwaukee series. Like explain that to me, go back and watch those five games. He was, he was a negative player in those games on both ends defensively was inexplicably awful offensively couldn't make a shot and didn't seem like he gave a shit. So that's who you're signing, whether he can turn it around. Good luck to him. He's fun to watch, but I, I just think it's really risky. I mean, look, Danny basically said goodbye to him the other day with that whole, yeah, they were done along a whole lot better next season. They'd had it. It, it, work, it wasn't all Kyrie though. There was some Rogier stuff, and I, Marcus Morris was unhappy. And I think, uh, I think the Hayward thing with how they kept trying to force feed him in and give him all these chances, and and he hadn't really earned his minutes, and they were giving them to him anyway. I think that was a big deal. I think they felt like it was like Stevens looking out for his dude, and uh, it just was the year from hell. And I'm glad it's over. Um, Tobias Harris, overpaid, underpaid, or properly paid? I gotta be honest, man. That's the dude. I just. There has been so little chatter about him. Uh, you know, as, as good as you know, as good as he can be, as good as we, as well as we've seen him play in, in spurts. Now, I I do not think the playoffs did him any favors, but uh, I mean, it's amazing that you almost classify him as an underground guy because there's so much heat at the top of this free agency class. I mean, yeah. I'm sitting on everybody to get overpaid again because to get anyone with this many quality bidders out there, it's going to cost you a lot of money. So I, you know, I don't know who that team is yet, but I, I'm sure somebody's going to give them, give them a big four-year deal. Why couldn't it be Denver? It could. I mean, no, I thought Denver should. I thought Denver might be the sneaky, the sneaky Anthony Davis bidder. Hmm. Well, no, if they really want to do something daring, nobody was beating that ridiculous Lakers offer. Well, I mean, it really yeah, was no, like I mean, the Lakers are paying 160 cents in the dollar. Nobody else even had the assets to do that. Um, do you think there's kind of an outside puncher's chance that Harris comes back to the Clippers? I haven't seen that mentioned, but that would be the most Jerry West move of all time. You trade this dude and you get a ton of assets and then you just re-sign him four months later. Come on back. I mean, You've been I, great. I have not heard that either. I mean, it's going to look. It's again. It's been so the the drumbeat of Kawhi to the Clippers has been so steady until the finals that you didn't even know what the backup plan was. 
But that's what I mean. Maybe he's the backup pant. It's totally legal for them to re-sign him. It feels like it should be illegal, but it's actually not. It's a hundred percent legal. I haven't. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would also. I mean, don't they need to maintain maximum flexibility? If Kawhi does a one and one, I, I would think they're going to wait and go after him again. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think they. I think that's, they, I mean, that, that, that's what I would do. I don't. But think that Gallinari comes off. But Gallinari comes off in a year, so they would just use that money and give it to Kawhi. Don't rule out the Clippers. Look, man, I, I, I don't have the, I don't have the numbers in front of me to know if that's possible. But I, what, what they, I don't think they will do anything that jeopardizes going after Kawhi again. If they could, if they could bring in a, a high dollar free agent and still have that flexibility the year after, then fine. Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton. Okay, he he should have been on our list of locks. He's going back to the lock. Overpaid, underpaid, or properly paid, though? Bill Simmons will definitely, on his next Ryan Rosillo visit, will definitely declare that to be an overpay because they're going to give him a five. I, I think he's going to get a five-year max from the Bucks. Oh, no. Five-year five max? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> oh, please don't do that. Oh, God. Really? That's my gut. Oh, boy. They're just... Or five, you know, five year close at the worst. They should go. They should really go back and look carefully, really, really carefully at LeBron's 0809 and 2010 rosters and all the moves that Cleveland made those three years before they do that. Because it's very easy to so overpay. If, so, if, so if I wave my if I wave my magic wand and you're you're the new John Horse, are you prioritizing Brogdon over Middleton? I'm trying to bring them both back. And I think they're both important. And I'm trying to. Well, if you bring them both back, you, again, you, you're going to have. If they offer him less than the max and teams out there sniffing opportunities, I mean, Middleton is a guy a lot of teams would want. They just don't think he's available. Everybody thinks he's going back to Milwaukee. Well, give him the four year so, max. He can't get a five year max from anyone else. What's he going to leave? He's playing with Giannis. I would try to keep both of them, but not not destroy the next five years of my cap. The thing with them is, you know, they got the all-time sweetheart deal from the city of Milwaukee with that arena. You had two rich guys, both two, two really well-known rich guys who own that team who bought it for nothing. And now it's like quintupled in value because they stumbled into the Giannis thing, which was, you know, they hit the all-time lottery with him. And that that team is now a money machine and they they should they should spend luxury tax for that, in my opinion. When are you buying a team? When are you buying a team? A couple of years. Certainly I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a fr- Hollywood friends, and you can you can <laughs> get a group together with all your. You think there's no value anymore? They, they, the the year was 2010, where there there was t- how many teams that were available that there in that 18 month stretch? It was like eight. The Sixers got bought for like five bucks and a ham sandwich. Remember that? It was nuts. The Charlotte, they basically gave the Charlotte to MJ. I think he paid like I think he put down like a hundred million cash. Those those days are over. That's why that's that's why even MLS teams go for zillions now because nobody can afford NBA teams and these guys want to own sports teams so bad they have to buy MLS teams. All yeah, all the rich dudes want to own a team that they can then tell people like, yeah, I'm, I own LAFC or whatever it is. They they like to have their. It's like having a yacht. Last overpaid, underpaid, properly paid guy, and then we have to go. Nikola Vucevic. Some Celtics Nikola whispers Vucevic. with him. Yeah, I mean, well, if they if the Kemba thing happens, 
then that obviously will wipe that out. But uh, I still think he's going to be, let's say, properly paid. You'll call it an overpay, but uh, I think he'll. Uh, he's either going to get a he'll get a good deal to stay in Orlando, or he'll get he'll get it somewhere. The Kings are still looking at that one. Uh, I think depending on the numbers, they'll be a bidder. The Celts are in there at some level. I think if it's in the four years hundred range, I would say properly paid. And I, I'm even okay. factoring in the uh, heard, the bump. I've heard that ballpark. That's the ballpark. I, mean, I thought he was really good last year. And, and by the way, can shoot threes now, which you know he's not not at the Brook Lopez level, but his ability to at least stretch the floor a little bit has made him dangerous. I my favorite. Uh, I just love Brooke Lopez, and if I'm the Bucks, I would be as worried about bringing him back as any of these other guys. I thought he was essential I, to what I they gotta did. Ask you, I got to ask you one question before I go. Yeah. I need this answer from you. Because uh, I'm dealing with this in my newsletter that will be out probably by the time this pod comes out. Yeah. Asterisk. Did the, did the Raptors get an asterisk? Oh, my asterisk column. Yeah. I mean, most, of, most titles, there's some sort of asterisk, but I also feel like it's like the 2014 Spurs to me. Like they earned that title. They, whether you want to give them, you know, it, the, in the first sentence of the title's obituary, it will be that the Warriors also had two catastrophic injuries during the finals. Um, but at the same time, they, they, to me, the Philly series made that title a thousand percent earned. What they went through that series to get by that Sixers team. Um, and then, and then they just had different guys step up every time they needed somebody. I think, I thought it was a really great team effort and a great title. I support it. What do you think? I think, I think the, I think the asterisk part is going to be unavoidable because those injuries were so bad and the worst that we've ever finals and we'll always get a met, you know, we'll get a mention, but I also think and this is kind of what I explore in here, you know, the 99 Spurs were, at least in my time, they were the original asterisk team because yep. Bill Jackson branded them that way. Yeah. But I think, I think that fades with time. Like, you know, now, 20 years later, do we, do we still really talk about that? No. So I think I, it's, I hope that- it, it, to me, it's like the 2011 Mavs. They had an incredible player who played out of his mind and a really good team effort. And they made it happen. You know, I think that's how we're going to remember it. It's very similar to that Mavs team to me. Uh, Mark Stein, we can subscribe to your newsletter. We can follow you on Twitter. We can read you in the New York Times. And uh, and I look forward to your coverage the next few days. Enjoy this next couple of weeks. You're going to be giddy. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on. On the Ringer Podcast <laughs> Network. See you later. Hey, we're going to call my dad really quick because I want to have, he wants to do a farewell to Kyrie. But first, Heinz Mayonnaise transforms ordinary foods into an unforgettably creamy experience. You may forget your coworkers' names, your mom's birthday, or what happened three seasons ago on that show everyone's talking about. You'll never forget a delicious potato salad made with creamy Heinz Mayonnaise foods. With Heinz Mayonnaise won't just be the unforgettably creamy highlight of your week. They may well be the highlight of your 30s. Slather it onto a mouth-watering turkey club. Put it in a tuna salad. Mix it in a garlic aioli. Layer it on a thick cheddar cheeseburger or spread it on a BLT. And because of the unforgettable creaminess, hours later, you'll be telling everyone with an air shot just how good it was. Here's how I know it's good. Kyle, I love nothing more than BLTs. Mm. You know what BLTs need? Creamy mayonnaise. Extra creamy mayonnaise. It's just, you need it. 
and and the bacon needs to be cooked correctly and the whole thing. Delicious. Leave the boring old blah mayonnaise on the shelf where it belongs. Try something new. Try unforgettably creamy Heinz mayonnaise and the new Heinz mashups, mayo chip, mayo Q, mayo must, and crunch. All right, we're going to call my dad. All right, my dad's on the phone. It is now noon Pacific time. Um, Dad, I just wanted to give you the chance to say goodbye to Kyrie Irving because it seems like he's really gone. Any any last thoughts? Any last words after two years of watching him? I, I said goodbye to him days ago. I said goodbye to him when I saw you driving him to the airport on that video <laughs> on, uh, on the internet. So I wish I was in the back seat. I would have been packing his luggage. What would uh, you, what could you have done differently as you look back? Is there anything you could have done? Uh, that's could you have cheered harder? <laughs> could you have no, cheered I, harder for him? Maybe you didn't I, give I, enough. I, I was at the season ticket. It wasn't even a game. It was like a get-together, a little scrimmage, meet the new players, beginning of the year. Kyrie comes out midcourt, uh, makes his bold statement that he's re-signing with the Celts. The crowd goes wild. Everybody's thinking about we we lost in Game 7 in the conference finals. If we had Kyrie, we would have been in the finals. What a nightmare. <laughs> I mean... I was fooled. Uh, I guess I didn't realize what a negative, terrible influence he was on other players. I think I told you that that second half of the year, he used to watch the huddle because we sit near there. And Kyrie would be trying to give, I guess, advice to every other player on the team. And nobody was listening. They're all looking up in the stands. They're making eye contact with their families or friends. I mean, the guy was a nightmare. Um, I hope he does well in Brooklyn, uh, and I hope we can use his money wisely. But you know, get the guy out of here. That's my opinion. And you think this the uh, Celtics fan base shares that opinion? It feels like it does. I, I you know, there, there was an article about is is he well a couple of things. Is he the worst Celtic since? Uh, um, Rowe and... Uh, oh, Wixon. Sidney Wicks and Curtis yeah. Rowe? Exactly. Jesus. Is he the, the worst Celtic since back then? Or uh, is he the most disliked athlete in Boston the same way you put uh, when Ellsbury uh, went to the Yankees, when Damon went to the Yankees, oh, yeah. when Clemens went, went to the Yankees eventually? You know, he's in that category of He's really, really, really disliked up here. So when he comes uh, back, there's going to be some booze. Uh, there's going to be a lot of booze. You know, the, the other thing that worries me, and, and I don't know if you saw it today, there was a little piece about the Sixers being very interested in Al Horford. I mm. hope I like Al Horford a lot, and I understand he probably isn't coming back, but I just hope he doesn't make that kind of decision. Because if he came back, it would be like Ray Allen when he came back as a member of Miami. Oh, Al Horford jumping to the enemy, you mean? Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, I, th- I know he wants to win a championship. And, you know, he's the polar opposite of Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is so disliked. Kyrie Ir- uh, Al Horford is very much liked in this city. And I think people kind of understand that 33 maybe wants to win a championship, but please don't go to somebody like the 76ers. You know? Yeah, but I think go. if they were offering him four years and the Celtics were only offering him three, I I would be fine with 
I love I love that Horford. Jackie and Bob McMullen said that the Celtics did offer four years. I don't think that, that's that that money was money and length of contract was not the issue. That he really wants to go to a contender, and we're not a contender. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know what we're going to do with all our money. Uh, there's so many rumors running rampant around here about whether we have 28 million or if they denounce Rozier, do we have you know 37 million or whatever and who could you go out and get for that money? And would that make us a contender? I don't know. I don't know who you can go out and get. I like that, that you created so, a new word, denounce. It's renounce, but denounce. I like denounce. It's like he's like how you denounce, denounce an evil spirit. Well, We've denounced much, Kyrie Irving. It's much stronger than renounce. So I, I made that word up. Yet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's some Kemba Walker rumors that we just had Mark Stein on the podcast. We we're talking about that. And he's, you know, he's from uh, East Coast, obviously went to UConn and uh, it is the kind of guy who's impossible not to root for. I oh, think he, I love the guy. Don't you like the guy? Yeah, I mean, I think he, he's been he's been great. I think the part that people are missing with Kyrie, I, it, it actually was relatively salvageable. As much of a nightmare as the season was and how unhappy the team was and how much unfun it was to watch it, it all could have been salvaged if they played well in the playoffs and... I think it's getting swept under the rug how bad he was in that Buck series. Like he he was like uh, he unconscionably was awful. Yeah, he was a complete yeah, he was no terrible. show. Uh, you know, that's the other thing. He, he kept saying the whole second half of the year, you know, it's going to come together and you're going to see playoff Kyrie. Well, playoff Kyrie sucked and <laughs> that last game uh, yeah. he did not try he, he there was no effort in that last game. Um wouldn't you rather have Kemba Walker than Kyrie Irving? Oh, a thousand times out of a thousand. A thousand I, times out of a thousand. So, yeah, I'm trying. I'm I'm trying yeah. to look at it from Kyrie's end, trying to figure out what happened because obviously it was the year from hell for him too. And even when he went to that season ticket holder thing, he phrased it really carefully, where he said, "You know, and and I'd love to come back here if you'll have me." So you could argue he didn't technically lie because I don't doesn't seem like the Celtics fans will have him, so he's going to uh, leave. I don't, I don't think he was. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think he was put together enough to carefully have worded his response. Yeah, who knows? He, Maybe we're underestimating I his, him. I think his intent was he was coming back, and he got the cheers that he was looking for. And, you know, you and I, I remember we were at the Masters last year when we got the word that Kyrie wasn't going to be able to play in the playoffs. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And we, we both said, oh, that's that's the end of our playoff run, um, which had really just not uh, hadn't even was just ready to begin, and we went as far as we went. And again, there was such. I don't think I've had as much anticipation for a Celtics season as maybe um, two thousand nine ten yeah. when we went to the uh, finals. And you know, it, it, it's just it, it was just awful the whole season. Uh, and I don't mind, and you know, it's a combination of things. I think he influenced other players in such a negative way. Um, I, I think they disliked playing with him so much. Uh, and our offense never flowed. Uh, guys were in the wrong spots, taking the wrong kind of shots. So, well, I think, you know, it's not even just a basketball thing. I think when you have somebody who's unhappy and who's up and down, it's hard to overstate how much that influences other people. Now, if you have another uh, another couple people in there who are also unhappy, then it becomes a tsunami of unhappiness. Well, I agree. I know? mean, 
not not to I mean think the whole premise of your book of basketball had to do with chemistry and camaraderie and the secret you know, yeah and we had none of that so it's it's certainly no surprise that Milwaukee knocked us out of the playoffs um, and that the team quit as soon as it had the chance to quit, the team rolled over. Yes. That was the really yep. frustrating thing, the yep. la- especially the last two games. The team was just dying to roll over. Game five was one of the all-time easiest bets probably ever. I mean, the line was right. pretty high, but there was no chance that Celtics team was going to have any fight. I, I do think there's a world in which he goes, I said this to Mark Stein, where he goes to Brooklyn and he's really great for them for like four months and everybody's going, wow. Obviously, it was yeah, Boston's I agree, I agree fault because a lot like what happened after he left Cleveland and came to the Celts. Hayward got hurt, and then remember the Celts won sixteen straight, and he was kind of incredible right. to watch and was saying all the right things and leading by example. And like he does have it in him. That that's really the craziest thing about him. He's not, you know, Sidney Wicks, Curtis Rowe. Sidney Wicks was a loser. He was a loser everywhere he went. You know, he he was the number one pick in the draft in Portland. And was a well, loser for seven years. Sydney Wicks for that reason. It, it it had to do with the the way that fans. Oh no, I'm I'm players. with you. I'm yeah. I'm I'm okay. saying like, I'm saying like Wicks was kind of irredeemable. Kyrie has actually had really good moments and really good stretches. I think that was the most confounding thing about it that his he was up and down, but the downs were really down and the ups were really up. You know, you and it think was just, one of his biggest mistakes was. If he had just played ball and uh, instead of feeling apparently this obligation to become, take on this leadership role and the other players didn't respond to that role, maybe if he just played ball, because, um, you know, that first year, he's a spectacular player when he feels like it. Yeah. But he, he has no leadership skills. And it the more he seemed to try to influence other players, the more everybody's game went down the tube. So maybe if he had just, maybe if he goes to Brooklyn and he just plays ball, uh, they'll see a different Kyrie, but I don't know about that. Eventually I see the whole thing blowing up again. Yeah. I feel that way as well. I, I will say one of the five most talented Celtics we've ever, we've ever had, you know, we didn't, we didn't get KG at his apex. He was still an amazing top seven, top eight guy, but we didn't see him like 2004 KG, anything like that. Um, well, I, I qualify, you're talking about plays that we saw in person, right? Yeah. I'm saying just Celtics guys that he, he was certainly one of the most talented. He wasn't on the, at least on these last two years, he wasn't on like the bird level or the, you know, the Cowens Havlicek level, anything like that. But he, he really had all the tools. He was just he, an, an, he an astounding it, it, player you know, to watch. I, I thought he shot much better when he was on Cleveland than he did for the Celtics. His three-point shot, you know, I know people uh, always throw Isaiah Thomas in this discussion, but I was much more confident when Isaiah Thomas took a three than I was when Kyrie took a three. And I'm certainly going to be more confident if we have Kemba Walker because he's deadly. Um, He kills us and he's like a good teammate and... Here's where that. the here's where the stats people though would tell you that Kyrie shot the three better than Kemba Walker. Yeah, but I was at the games and the, the <laughs> I ones love he this. made, the ones he made were not in crunch time. Um, He's forty percent shooter last year from three. I I know what you mean though. Like you you felt like in the moment 
you didn't trust him for whatever reason. You just had a feeling. In the moment, I didn't trust him. You're right. Um, I, I trusted him more if he went to the basket. Yeah. And he stopped doing that in the playoffs. Uh, maybe he had already made his decision to move on. He just didn't want to get hurt. So he was throwing up those awful jump shots. Yeah, it does seem like a recurring theme in NBA history is when the guy knows they have one foot out the door, it does affect them in the playoffs. Yeah, it affects him. He, he stops playing that go-to-the-rim basket. And, you know, it's uh, Rozier did the same thing, by the way. Hmm. I guess my other nightmare is they re-sign Rozier and he's our point guard next year. But, uh, I mean, they still, they have two holes. And I, I don't think they can fill both holes with the amount of money they have. Yeah, They either pick a point guard or they pick a center. Um, well, you like you would like Brog, a Brogdon Looney combo. Is that a backup plan for you? What about Vucevic? I, I like Vucevic. However, you say his name. I'm, the only problem is if we get him, I'll never say his name correctly. But I thought he, you know, he came in and killed us a couple of times. He came. He did. Down. He had good stats all season. I know he had a career year and a contract year. So you and I always kind of shake our heads when that happens, but. I like his game. Um, it's kind of old school. Uh, I'm not sure what's the biggest need, bringing in a center or bringing in a point guard, because they're both going to get max contracts, don't you think? Yeah. I think you would call him right. Vooch. Couldn't wouldn't you just call him Vooch? Yeah, i call him Vooch. Vooch? Uh, what country is he from? Um, I Whatever I say, if I'm wrong, I, I, people are going to okay, be mad so at me for 10 years. he's from... We could call him the guy from somewhere, wherever he's from. I don't even know say him, his name. Why can't you just call him Vooch? I can say I call him Vooch. If we could get Vooch and Brogdon, because Brogdon's not going to get Max. I like Brogdon. Um, I'd be very happy with those two additions. Very, very happy. I'm trying to think other Switzerland. He's from Switzerland. That's what it, the internet says. Yeah. Yeah, Switzerland says Kyle. Born in Switzerland. I think he's nah, raised in Belgium. Raised in Belgium. Yeah, I think he's Croatian, but born or his family's Croatian, something like that. Okay. Um, whatever, whatever. I'm trying to think of the top five Boston athletes we've had that you've just struggled the most pronunciation wise with. Oh, Crecci no, was definitely Crecci but... was definitely one of them. I probably just said his name wrong now. Crecci <laughs> on the Bruins. We've had some bad ones. Yeah, there. I I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> he's the second line center that we've watched for years and years and years and years, but. Great cheese. Great cheese is All right. So let me throw this at you and then we're going to go. They somehow get Kemba. Then patch together some sort of whatever, some veteran center. Can they, they, get, can they get Kemba and the guy from Golden State? Looney? No. No. I don't, I don't think that's realistic. But let's say Kemba and then they patch together some center thing and t- there's, they get like, Tyson Chandler and just some old veterans for the minimum and then figure it out later. Um, are you, are you excited that you've already paid for your season tickets at that point? Yes. Yes, okay. definitely. Okay. Definitely. Uh, I, I, we still have talent in that team. Yeah. We just, we just have, we need somebody, we need the right point guard because it's a different kind of league obviously nowadays. And I like all our wings. Um, any, but yeah, I'd be excited. Any summer advice I for Jason I, Tatum before we go? Um, two things. First, uh, don't answer the phone if your caller ID says Kobe Bryant. Okay. And the second advice is uh, drive, 
practice all summer driving to the basket. Just go to the hoop. So those those two things. Go to the hoop. Practice Please your go to the hoop. Yeah, your up and unders. Anything where you're near the rim. Anything where you get fouled. Yeah, get the some fouls. Foul shooter. He, he, he didn't go to the line this year. If he, was, he, he was, yeah, he was driving me crazy. You know, we had a lot of jump shooters this year. It was kind of frustrating. I know. Well, that was why I got, I got bummed out. We took Romeo Langford. Like, whether he's talented, you know, and, and uh, is I, a great I, upside pick or not, he, the big thing with him was, I, like, ball I stopper. Watch YouTube, I watch his YouTube clip. He goes to the basket. He does. He got free throws last year. Yeah, so I'm on board. He seems I'm not on board. Well, they're, they, you know, I didn't like the pick. I didn't like the pick either. But. He was Mr. Basketball in Indiana. He played hurt all year, which I think the Celtics actually really appreciated that he could have just shut it down. He would have been a top 10 pick, but he kept playing with an injured thumb, basically the same injury Smart had. So that affected his shooting. Um, the thing the thing I didn't like was he's a little black hole-ish. And I feel like we already have a team of black holes, or at least we did last yeah. year. Maybe that's going to flip, but um, I, I don't, don't think a rookie can... Well, he, he's not. He's away. just not going to play next year, and and whether he plays down the road, that's why I made the G League joke. Um, yeah. But it seems like that Grant Williams is going to be your kind of guy. I think he is going to be my kind of guy. Yeah, that is, he brings you know, all the stuff to the table you like. The, the thing about the Indiana and the other guy, I was thinking, if this is three years from now, and high school players can come out, right? Yeah, he was the fourth or fifth top ranked ESPN high school player coming out of high school. Yeah. So he would have been a, a top six pick. Right. Um, Bull Bull was the same, had, though, and he went 44. Yeah. I mean, it's going to, there'll be a lot in three years if, or two years, whenever it happens, if high school players can come out, there are going to be a lot of mistakes made because these players show different skills or skill sets or levels of confidence in freshman year in college. And right. This guy's a good example. Now, maybe the thumb killed him all year. I hope so. Um, I I would I love so. if I was like wrong about that pick and he was awesome. Yeah. I do think that they've done it is a tra a draft tactic Danny's used before because they did that with Avery Bradley too. Remember they took him nineteenth, yes. but he was the year before was like the number three guy in high school. You're and right. I, I, so and, they they've done. I this. mean, I look at the ESPN high school list too of the guys coming out of high school. Right. Uh, going to either prep school or college. Um. And, and it often works out, doesn't always work out, but, you know, it's, it's just kind of ironic. In three years, this kid might have been the fourth pick in the draft coming out of the same situation yeah, without going to Indiana. And you so we'll you see. and I both love Carson Edwards. I love Carson Edwards. Yeah, that, you know, he'll be a fun heat check guy, potentially. We, we never pick a guy like that. I know. You and I always say, we, other teams come in the garden, they have a Carson Edwards kind of heat check guy that, we can't stop shooting jump shots. Right. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching that guy play. Yeah. That got a wow from Kyle. Carson Edwards? Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Kyle. Jumped one like shining podcast. points in the tournament or something like that. It was nuts. He de- yeah, he does one have game. a sneaky one-on-one from 26 feet pull-up game. against yeah. the uh, eventual champion. Yeah. Crazy. I loved watching him. That, that, that yeah. pick... I hate when we trade back and I didn't like that trade. It made more sense after it became clear what the reason for the trade was... Um, was that their creative well, space? Well, they he was still sitting there, I think. Yeah. Because the Globe had him as a top 25 pick. Yeah, I got to say, I've had some time to calm down. I don't hate the draft anymore. Turns out I overreacted. <laughs> wow, that never happens. 
Well, I should just not be allowed be on. First, I, I can't this be. This must be the first time you overreacted. I just shouldn't be allowed on Twitter during a draft. I was too tense. It was too important. We took Romeo Langford. I was like, "What the fuck? He shot twenty-seven percent from three, But there were real reasons for it. So I, f- I feel better. I've come. I've come around. That's that's why Good. I'm a true homer. I've talked myself into. that. I need a couple days, but I've talked myself into it. Um, all right. So me, long, Kyrie. Yeah, me too. So okay. long, Kyrie. Uh, we're looking forward to the Patriots season. Lock us in for 12 and four. And uh, we'll talk to you later in the summer. All right. Talk to you. All right. We are going to bring in Michael K. Williams in one second. Wanted to remind you about the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find just some awesome basketball-related podcasts as we head into one of the craziest uh, 96-hour, 120-hour, whatever stretches that we're going to have on June 30th against all odds with Cousin Sal. They'll be breaking down all the bets you can possibly make. Uh, this podcast, Ryan Rosillo, I think is going to be on Thursday. And then uh, and then next week, too, as we react to a lot of the stuff, the Ringer NBA show. I You probably already subscribed to that one, but if you don't, I don't know why you wouldn't. Winging it with Vince Carter and Kent Bazemore, trying to get to the bottom of this. Kent Bazemore got traded. I love this podcast. He got traded straight up for Evan Turner. What happens? What do we do? Do we form a, a second Kent Bazemore podcast? Do we bring Evan Turner in as the new co-host? I don't know. A lot of decisions to be made here on the Ringer Podcast mm-hmm. Network. And then uh, the J.J. Reddick podcast. Rumor has Zach Lowe coming in this week oh, to talk cool. to J.J. So, and, and by the way, J.J. is going to be a free agent too. I don't know where the hell he's going to be going. There's rumors uh, he's going to stay in Philly. There's rumors of him in Brooklyn. There's a rumor going around about him in New Orleans. I, I guess he'll have to settle in the J.J. Reddick podcast. So, and then one more thing, the Dave Chang show, I actually went on that. I think that's running this week or next week or something like that, but I hadn't been on in a while and I uh, went in a whole bunch of directions. So that was awesome. All right. There you go. Ringer podcast network, go to the ringer.com or go to Apple or go to Spotify. If you want to check out all of our podcasts right now, Michael K. Williams, here he is. Michael K. Williams is here. We we did this on my HBO show briefly like three years ago. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, but we we didn't have a full sit down. So I I'm glad on, we're doing this. I came this. on there with Christina, Christina Hendricks. Hendricks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But now now we're gonna do the full sit down. You have uh, when they see us is on Netflix right now. It is not a miniseries. It's not a TV show. It's not a movie. What is it? A limited TV series. A limited TV series. There you go. <laughs> All the terminology is so complicated now. What kind of feedback are you getting for this? It's been awesome. It's been actually humbling. Um, the main feedback is I've been really having a hard time with all my friends, my 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 peers. They call me, my 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 my, my brothers from from other mothers, as we say, and um, it's woken up their trauma that I didn't know that they had. They may not have known that they had, and so I'm I'm getting these phone calls with all this pain, um, and just um, and I don't know what to say, and that that makes me feel helpless. And all I can do is just sit there and listen. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when this story happened, I was actually, I was spending the summers in Connecticut at that point. And obviously it's a huge story in the tri-state area and they were writing about it and it seemed incredibly unfair. And then, it, you know, like everything else, it goes away after the trial. Yeah. Then there was a documentary about, I think 2011, 2012 by Ken Burns. That was really good. Awesome. It was one of those things that kind of would come around every few years and people would go, oh yeah, that was really unfair. That's terrible. And I wish that hadn't next. happened. And then it moves yeah. on to the next thing. Yeah. And now with this Netflix series, limited TV series and the scope of it, now it feels like it's getting the proper treatment, I would say. Yeah, um, I think so. 
because, you know, we have some distance. I think we're better at recognizing some of the code words. Like there's a really good scene in the first episode when Felicity Huffman's character, the DA, she's talking, she's explaining how she's got to get these guys and she's using like animals and just these words that I, I feel like now people are so conditioned to tense up when they hear any sort of code, anything. It's really effective at how it you does know, that. You know, unfortunately, that's not the case of my my view. You know, um, my kids, and when I say my kids, I mean the young people from my community because yeah. it takes a village. So I own all my kids, the good, bad, and the ugly because I was once the, the bad and the ugly. So um, just as recently as the, the Baltimore riots, I remember being infuriated because the then mayor of the city, she went on on national news and she called her kids animals. Mm. And that it just it just struck a chord. How many years ago was that? The Baltimore Rise, we're talking like four years ago. Yeah. And I, I, I remember hearing her refer to the kids in her community from her city as animals. And it, it just it, 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 it didn't make me feel good. I've had a few choice words for her in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you you're on the parent side in this one. In the, yes, I am. I play. Uh, I play Bobby McCray. He was oh, Antron. Antron's father. Do you worry about the type of characters you play? Like you, you tend to be on this side or this side on the right. Usually, like even in the night of, you're in jail. The Wire. You're Omar. Like so you, you tend to be more of the bad guy in this one. Whenever you go against type with that, I'm always more interested, like to see you as the parent. I was like, all right, this is good. You know, um, I never really. I haven't looked at my 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 resume in regards to good and bad. They're all humans, and um, unfortunately, and and sometimes fortunately, I know all these characters from my community. So yeah. when I look at my 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 wreckage of my past, as we call a resume, I uh, I I see different community narratives. So it's like a mosaic of people you've run into over the. I was I I would over the decades I would say so yeah. Yeah. Um, what drew you to this role? Huh, um, the story, um, to finally be a to be a part of of these men finally getting a chance to tell their truth, to tell the truth. And um, you know, I, I know this story. I was there um in New York when it happened and uh it could have easily have been me. Easily. Yeah. My mom and me in the in that interrogation room, and then last but not least, it was Ava DuVernay. You know, um, and not just because it was Ava DuVernay, but it was Ava DuVernay. Yeah. And uh, if you if you know her, you know what I'm talking about. If you had a chance to talk with her, you know, we we sat down in New York over lunch, and we talked about the the climate and the climate in the city at the time, and what it was like for me, and and my relationship to this story. And I thought that you know. I was pretty secure that I had the gig, right? So I was like, okay, who gets the bill? I have to see you on the set. She goes, oh, no, no, no. Now let's talk. I'm like, well, what do you want to know? She says, who are you? And I was like, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't prepare for that question. <laughs> like, yeah. What do you mean? Who am I? And um, the conversation went on a different uh, trajectory. It got real, real quick. And... Um, I don't know. I left. I left the meeting feeling not as confident as I went in. I, I didn't know if I had the gig or not, and it was um, it was in some of the things that we spoke about in that that part of the conversation that I realized I had gotten a little lazy, 
And um, I got I had gotten a little jaded, you know, um, jumping from gig to gig and, and yeah. not taking care of myself. And um, I said, I said, you know, if I if she gives me an opportunity to be a part of this journey, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna really really make it make it count. And and um, when they see us, for me personal on a personal level, outside of my relationship to the story. Just as as an actor in this business, um, it kind of renewed my vows with the craft and the reasons why I do what I do. So who are you? I am a man from my community who cares about my community, who wants to use my platform to be a part of something positive in my community. And Is so, that what you told Ava? Well, no, not in that moment. I had to go find that answer. Yeah. I didn't know so that. So that made you question what the answer was. Yes, I had to, which is, well, question your answers. All right, yeah. the, shout out to the Atlantic. Yes, I had to question my answers because I didn't know. And, you know, like my my catalog of work, where I look at my body and who I am now as a man in my personal life and what I do in my community and the impact I, I aim to have in my community, that all started to wake up right around, um, you know, uh, Black market, uh, um, raised in the system, that started to push me in this into this direction of having purpose of of, of being of service. And when they see us, kind of was the, was the boot in the back that just kicked me over the edge. There's no turning back for me. Um, Do you, so you played Omar, one of the most uh, iconic characters, I would say, in the history of HBO. Thank you. The president says it's his favorite character ever. You know, all that stuff's going on. I've asked you this before, but I'm going to repeat it. Um, the baggage of that, as you try to find new roles and stuff, how long did it take to shake out of that, of people just thinking like, oh, that's Omar? I, I didn't care. I was too ignorant to care about any of that. I just, you know, I was happy to be there, happy to be working. I, all of that that stuff, I didn't have the knowledge of what that meant to even wear that. So my ignorance kind of saved me. Yeah. But, um, um, in regards to uh, President Obama making that remark about his his admiration for the wire and and the character of Omar, that put me on blast. That frightened me. Um, you know, I, I was, think he said it to me. It was an interview I did with him. Remember, we talked about this. Yeah. It was it, you were the and I was I was in the White House. I did the first ever podcast with him, and I'm getting he started talking right about now. that. And then he was like, "Yeah, my favorite character is Omar." I was wow. like, "What? Yeah, that was yo." Okay, when I heard it, I was in the interview with uh, Terry Rhodes um, from um, Fresh Air, and it was like the HBO um, media people were running in, and it was like it was like almost like breaking news for for this little show called The Wire on HBO. Yeah. And uh, I remember, I think it was me. I hope I'm not taking credit for it. it. it could, I'm pretty it, sure it was me. Yeah, I mean, we well, we gonna we gonna say it now, right? It was you, Bill. <laughs> hope, right? hope it's not uh, debunked after the fact that it was somebody else. <laughs> I know we talked about The Wire, and I could have sworn he said you were his favorite character, but maybe I'm imagining it. No. Well, we'll just edit it out if it wasn't me. But I do remember it was a big deal. It was. The fact that he loved The Wire kind of in its own way felt like a big deal. You know, it was like, because I felt like it made him more real to somebody like me. It was like, oh, that dude's watching the same TV shows that I like. You well, know? Can you imagine what it did for someone like me who, yeah. was, who lived in that community that, yeah. he, that The Wire depicted? So I was like, oh, he sees me, you know, you know, so even though I'm on television and I'm, I'm, my career is starting to bud, I felt like I still felt um, invisible, you know, with 
getting back to when they see us, you know. I still felt like no one really saw me. They all they saw was, you know, what I portray on television. I still felt that at that point my voice didn't matter. Who cares what I think about anything? So therefore, I didn't, I didn't, I was very ignorant to who the way things run in in regards into my community in regards to like uh, local office or office um leaders and things of that nature. I definitely wasn't voting. Who cares about my vote? Yeah. And so all I, that's who I was when President Obama said that about me. So then I was, so two things happened. I was like, okay, he 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 must care. He must see me if he's watching The Wire. He he must care about things that are going on in my community. And then it made me want to listen to him and care about things that was going on in his world, which was affecting my world. So yeah. it made me grow up and and to take responsibility for my lack of 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 being present, my lack of not voting, my lack of not caring about who my local politicians were. I learned all of that by listening to him speak. So going way backwards, you got into acting late. Yes, very late. And was is it fair to say you bounced around in your, your teens and 20s trying to figure out what you're going to do with life? Um, I, well, yeah, very fair. You know, at, at, at what at, by, so, okay, when, when they see us, I was about 21, 22, and I was in rehab. Late 80s. Late eighties. Yeah. I was definitely eighty nine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was in. I was in my first rehab for for um, drug addiction. Yeah. So that's who I was. Um, uh, I you know I came out of that and I just you know I fell into the arts. It was the you know dancing was the first thing that I I liked to do that that held my attention and I found that I could actually make some sort of a living at it. So um, by the time the wire came around. I was so happy just being a background dancer. That was my joy. And you're you know, in your late 30s at that point? Well, I was in, yeah, but I had stopped dancing in my late 20s. Yeah. I was in my early 30s when the Wyatt came around, 32, yeah. I think. I stopped dancing like 27, 28. I had been on a few um, uh, gigs and started to book. Everybody was calling me the dark skin, the bald-headed, dark-skinned guy with the scar on his face. Yeah. So that was my MO. That was what I was being typecasted for, as you were alluding to earlier. That was frightening because it got old real quick. And I was like, if I'm getting bored with being called the bald-headed, dark-skinned guy with the scar on his face, they're going to start getting tired of calling me that. And I knew that I needed to get substance. So I got really lucky and got introduced to the off-Broadway theater world in New York City, like La Mama. Uh, La Mama Theater in Lower East Side, National Black Theater up in Harlem. And then I got with a theater company called Theater for a New Generation, um, my director, Mel Williams from Philadelphia. And that's when things really started to click. You could send me on anything and I would book it. And then all of a sudden the phones went dead for like two years. I couldn't book a job if you threw it at me. And then I started going into these auditions with all this, this, this anxiety, like my life depends on Thug number three. If I don't get the role of, you know, of scary guy on the corner number four, I'm going to die. Right. And I was like, this is not the right energy <laughs> coming into these rooms with. So I thought that maybe the ship had sailed. And uh, I went to work with my mom in the daycare that she she built in the projects that we still lived in. And I was like, yo, mom, I need a gig. And she hired me and I was grateful. And I put my all into it. And so all of that was for like two years. 9-11 happened. And in October of 2001, I was in my apartment in the projects and um, I turned on my television, playing some music, getting high. And um, there I go, my episode of Sopranos pops on the television. So I'm, I'm looking around my apartment and I'm looking at myself and I'm seeing myself on the television. And I'm like, 
one of these pictures is not cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I went to my mom and I said, listen, um, I want to give it one more shot. That was in, uh, that was October. I said, actually, let me some money. I need to reinvent my package, new headshots. They were doing this new thing called the reel that I heard. So I got my yeah. make a reel. And uh, she got, she lent me the money and I did that. That was October. By March, she calls me. I was upstairs. Um, she calls me and, um, and which by the way, I was also in a depression. Um, I didn't deal with 9-11 very well. I was on medication for that crap and all that shit. So that, that was the mind that I was in. And I, she calls me one day, come downstairs, there's a, there's a fax for you, right? It was the breakdown for Omar. And that was in, that was in March. I put myself on tape one time uh, for Alexa Fogel for the role of Omar. And the next time she called me, she was telling me to go pick up my tickets to go to Amtrak to go to Baltimore to report to work. That's amazing. I didn't know that story. That's amazing. What, why did 9-11, what happened? You know, I mean, beyond um, I the saw, usual I stuff. Saw, I saw that with my naked eye. You know, the night before, my mom's from the Bahamas, and so um, I'm first generation. My cousin was here visiting. He was slated to leave that morning. So that night, we drove around the city. Just, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a uh, construction worker in the Bahamas. So he he was fascinated how the buildings were so high above the, the clouds. He was like, yo, Mike, tell me that building stops right there. That's not going past the clouds. Like, you know, the Twin Towers and, and, yeah. and the Empire State. But I was like, nah, Foots, they, they go past that. So we got in my car that night, September 10th, and in an attempt to buy observation tickets, at, at first we went to the, um, the, uh, the Empire State building. They said no. Then we drove downtown and went to... The trade tower, and I was trying to buy tickets that night so we can beat the line because he had, he was leaving that morning. So the goal was we'll get the tickets tonight, take you to see the observatory deck, and then drive you to the airport. You go home. Was so you were going to be there that morning? Yes, sir. And um, we he and we went to to the to the to the to, to Twin Towers, and my cousin said, "Mike, don't waste your money. Let because I I might want to stay a little longer." He says, "Let me make some phone calls. If I can change my ticket to stay longer." without it being too expensive, then we'll come back to the city, go to the Twin Towers, then we're going to go see his dad who lived in Maryland, just go to, through the Highland Tunnel and go up the, go up, you know, he's on down the road. We get up that next morning and and then th it happened. And I remember um, that week, the weeks to follow, on any given day when the wind would shift, you could still smell, like at least two weeks past, you could smell the burning flesh in the air. And I remember being on my roof in the project, seeing the second plane go in. And I said, Footy, I said, I think these buildings are going to drop. He says, no, boy, that's steel. Steel don't, steel don't bend. You can't burn steel. And I think maybe 30, 40 minutes after he said that, those buildings were down. And I sat, we just sat there and watched. So that. you could see the whole thing from where you were? Yes, sir. You had a clear view um, to the Twin Towers. Did you know projects. the second plane? Did you know it was going to go into the building? Or like well, at that point, were you I even thinking didn't terrorism? Know anything. Well, when the second plane hit, I didn't actually see it flying. I just saw the big poof. And then I was like, what What happened? And then- Yeah, my then aunt, you realized. There was someone else. Okay, so the sec a second plane just hit because people were, were freaking out. And that's when we started hearing that, that, that it was a terror. That's the first time I heard the word terrorist attack. It was in that moment. I remember watching on TV the second one assuming the first one was like an accident, right? Everyone. That, yeah, and it's just, and you're like, man, that's, I can't believe that happened. And then that second one was coming toward the, I was so, the building. It was like, wait the, a second. I remember waking up that morning and turning on the news and seeing the image. You want to know what my first thought was? 
I don't remember this scene from Towering Inferno. I just dated myself, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Towering Inferno. I was, I'm like, I don't remember this scene in Towering Inferno. It's my favorite movie. I didn't. I don't remember the scene. What, what is this? What this looks too new? Did they re-edit it? That's that's where my mind went. Towering Inferno. God. Um. So then Omar changed your life. Then. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. How much? How much of it was was uh. How much of the characters you try to create versus what was written for it? Like, what was the balance? Um, I, I knew. Like, that, was it a blank slate that you worked with David no, Simon, or no, like, what no, was it? No, no, David Simon, Ed Burns. There was no blank slating going on over there. I mean, right down to the whistle, everything that was all. So they the had paper, all that stuff. All of that was there. The only thing I can say I brought to the table was I was determined to not have Omar sound like a dude from Brooklyn. I I immediately heard this different dialect. It that was the, it was like it was oh like, the Baltimore dialect. Yeah, yeah, man, it was rich and it was it was immediate. Like there was no like like you heard that and you knew that. Can okay. you do it like on command now, or was that something you had to work at? Work at wood. Uh, I'm talking about do tell. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take to get that? Uh, about two two to three years. If you if you wow. really listen to me in season one and two. I come in and out. There are certain words that you could like. You could tell I'm. It was it was in there to the to the untrained ear. Yeah. But to Baltimoreans, they could hear me coming in and out. It wasn't mm. until um season three, it just started to really. I just got it. It was in my pocket by season three. Was that character super popular right away, or did it did it take uh, two seasons? Because I don't remember the arc of it. I don't neither. I, you know, I was just so. I remember uh, by like season three, it was the it thing. It got really, yeah. yeah. It felt like yeah. it was, you were like, <laughs> it was like Kramer and Seinfeld where every time we were in a scene, it was like, oh my God, there he is. Someone's going to die. Or someone's going to someone's gonna die. Something's someone's going to get robbed. Someone's going to die. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I was, um, I remember, I, I was too, I remember being concerned about his 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 sexual orientation being an issue in my community. I was really worried about that. And um, was, was it an issue? Um, no. I mean, that was one of the things that was so revolutionary that, about actually, the character. I think it actually helped my community heal because, you know, homophobia was rampant. It is rampant still. Um, I think that Omar helped uh, men, heterosexual men from my community look at homosexuality or otherness from them in a different light. They had a had a way, Omar gave them a way to respect men that didn't live sexual lives the way they did. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's something you'd been, you'd been more, everything I've read about you, you were super comfortable in all kinds of circles like your whole life. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, my, um, I, you know, my, my, my best friend, my homie, the one that taught me how to navigate through the streets of Brooklyn is a lesbian named Robin, <laughs> who she fought for me. She beat up quite a few dudes for me, <laughs> and she taught me how to um, toughen up. So, uh, yeah, a woman taught me how to be a man, a gay woman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you had, we were talking when you came in about, there was no no great wire poster. There's been some good ones, not a great one, but you said there was one giant Omar poster. <laughs> yeah. That's like not many of them are out there. But no, you sir. have one of them. I have one and I, I hope in hopes to um 
to auction it off for charity for Making Kids Win, my organization that I run with my nephew, Dominic. It's the, um, it's, and the, the quote is the, um, you come at the king, you best not miss. Yeah. And that's the quote in the poster. And it's, the, uh, it's season one where he's getting ready to rob the kids in the alleyway with him and his lover, um, Brandon. They set him up. And it's the first time we hear Omar say the line, uh, uh, the cheese stands alone. It's in that, it's in that scene right before that, that robbery. That's the poster shot. I'll be finding that one on eBay. <laughs> this is one of my rare skills is I can find find weird shit on eBay. You're going to make me get you mine, man. You're going to make me get you mine. I'm finding this. No, no, no. I'll find it. Yeah, I don't need... I want you to auction yours off. That uh -huh. sounds a great poster. Thank and you, you have the overcoat. Yes, I do. I have Omar's trench. Um, David and Ed and Nina, they, um, you know, that was a that was a rough day at the office, um, needless yeah. to say. And they gifted it to me. They put it in this airtight gold encasing box. And um, his... Uh, Birth date is uh, the run of the show from 2002 to 2008, and it's um, it's beautiful. Did you when did you get that script? Did the, you how, how did you know it was going to end for him, or did you uh, yeah. did you think he was going to get through this this series? No, David. David was very very um, upfront about that. He didn't he didn't you know he didn't lead you on. So he called me and he he told me about it. And um, so I, I was able to go to work with this mindset that, you know, it was a weird day. Everyone was like, let's just get through this day. We are not going to sit here and start getting emotional and mourning a fictitious character. Right. It, was that, it was that awkward elephant in the room, all this like, and um, I had a break between takes and like, they had to cover me up at one point because they didn't want the community to get the spoiler alert that Omar had been shot. So I had to cover up all the, 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 gun wounds to the head to go back and forth. And um, I was in my trailer. I looked in the mirror with the gun wound and um, I just blanked. I just got, I got stuck. It wasn't, I wasn't crying. I just got, I went numb because it was coming to an end, man. I was like, you know, I was a corny kid growing up. I got picked on a lot. And all of a sudden, the same kid who would probably call me Sissy Mike and take my lunch money was like, dude, I love you. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, but you was gonna kill me just two, three years ago. So anyway, um, that 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 uh that Superman cape, that 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 um false, that false love, that false feeling of 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 pride was being stripped away. Um, every moment we shot that scene that day, and when the reality of that hit me. I was in my trailer alone. I just went, I went numb. Like, damn, I got to go back to Michael. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. And um, the wardrobe, um, Donna, she walks in, the wardrobe, the costume designer, excuse me, Donna, she walks in to, to, to like a change or something. And she, she knows, she, I, I would let people walk in my trailer. I think you'd have to knock for me. And she came in, my goodness, she looked at, my, at me sitting at the desk and she dropped everything and she grabbed me and she says, um, uh-uh, we're not doing this today. Don't even go there. Pull this shit together. Excuse my language. And she yeah. just like, she snapped me out of it. And um, that was it. So after the show ends, Omar lives on, which you probably didn't realize at the time. <laughs> and then you're you're out and about, you're wherever you are, and people must mention that character to you constantly. Celebrities. I mean, you run into basketball players or boxers. They, that must honor. be the first thing they say, right? It's an honor. Yes, it is. Out of... Out of Ten people, seven of them will call me Omar, or they'll just yell out, "Omar coming!" <laughs> <laughs> you must get a lot of Omar coming. I get a lot of Omar coming. I mean, really, that dude, man. <laughs> so, 
after that, doing a whole bunch of stuff, I thought, I thought the night of was fucking awesome. Thank you. Thank I you. really liked it, and I and I think in a weird way it remodeled the way HBO thinks about some of their shows now. And and then like what we're talking about with Netflix, where these six episodes, seven episode, four episode, they're not really fully a TV series. But you're kind of you go into this world anyway for a few weeks, and then you're out. Mm -hmm. And now they're doing it right now with Big Little Lies, and Netflix did it when they see us. But it just seems like this is a new model, and I feel like it started with the night of Steven Zillion. Um, he's a, he's a genius. Yeah, you know, um, he beat me up, which was much needed for that type of that type of heavy lifting. He created this world that was just um, it was incredible on that set. You felt like you were really in prison. And uh, I got a glimpse into what my nephew, Dominic DuPont, must have endured for 20 years of his life. And uh, it was, yeah, shout out to Steven Zellian. And, and your Price. character it was unclear most of the time what direction <laughs> he was going to go in. Well, yeah, you know. You never knew how sinister it was going to get, but you, you never, knew like it was it was kind of lingering. You know, he, it's, he, he, I can only imagine that's how you. That's the thin line you have to ride in prison. And, and I modeled my. I modeled Freddie Knight after my my nephew Dominic. And not to say that my nephew was um, manipulative, like that. But my nephew had the type of charisma. Freddie Knight was very charismatic, and he uh, he, he he could pull you in real easy. You get sucked into him. He's intoxicating, and and my nephew has that same type of of characteristics in his in his characteristic traits in his in his demeanor, and I so I based a lot of that that savviness on him. But then he just he has this dark side with his addiction, with his um his his uh he's you know he's a bit of a manipulator. Yeah, and that that you know and you know that's not so cool. Do you think Hollywood is doing a good enough job? Uh, telling the stories of your community right now. Um, I, I think the I think the tide is changing. It I feels think, like it's getting better, right? Yeah, and, but more importantly, to to put all that res that pressure and responsibility just in Hollywood's hands, I think it's time for us to also step up and take some of that and like like you know us as a community as 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 our, my actors in this Hollywood community, I think it's time now we need to start making it. Make demanding that our stories be told more, that more diversity, which is already happening. You know, we need more writers. Everybody doesn't doesn't need to be an actor. You know, when I talk to young people of color that want to get into this business, I say, don't do it the way I did. Yeah. I came in here just only wanting, desiring to be in front of the camera. You are you are so much more powerful when you own your content. Write and tell your story. Tell your truth. Read a book. Option it. Bring that to the table. Come with something more than just your pretty face because that gets old quick. Trust me, I know. <laughs> right. You know, so um it's time for that. And it's a great, it's a great the 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 temperature in Hollywood is is just is just right for that type of um conversation to be having. So I put some of the some of the responsibility back in our community, in our community in regards to telling our narrative in Hollywood. What'd you learn from uh, your boardwalk empire experience? Man. You what know, kind of tricks you pick up? Oh, please. But first of all, I mean, Boardwalk Empire was a boys club, you know, and, and the nickname for the for the club was 
Buscemi and the Michaels. Like you had to be named Michael to be on the show. There were like, like nine <laughs> Michaels in the cast, right? <laughs> shout, out to, shout out to all my Michaels from Boardwalk Empire. But um, what I learned on that show was um, just class on another level. Like Steve Buscemi, he, he showed me what a star really looks like. You know, I never saw him complain. I never saw him yawn. He was never late. He, he, he would, if you needed him just for eyeline, he would stay. Um, I mean, that type of, of grace, graciousness and, and, and it's just, I don't see that a lot now in days. Everybody's, you know, we're all, all about me, me, me. But um, yeah. Steve Buscemi is a class act. And um, what I learned just from watching him, how he interacted with the crew, with the other castmates, made him make himself always available and accessible. I, I strive to be like that now in the shows that I'm on with my my coworkers, and um, as you know, I'm on another HBO show called uh, the Love Lovecraft Country, and um, yeah, I, I give take my give us the Steve. 20 second synopsis of that of that one, the new one. Uh, um, so there was a writer. I, I think he's known to be the first science fiction writer. Um, his name is H.P. Lovecraft. He wrote a series of books that kind of resemble the Twilight Zone, if you will, and his world that he created. Um, lives in um, Jim Crow America and monsters from outer space. And he tells, and we see this world through this family, this very, very, very dysfunctional family. And that is called uh, Lovecraft Country. So when does this one come out? We're in Atlanta right now filming. We uh, First day of production is June 10th. Oh, nice. You catch Atlanta right for when it's 100 degrees. Oh, yeah. The, 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 we call, they call it the wall. Nothing Hot like Atlanta. July Atlanta. Atlanta, right? Really <laughs> sexy. <laughs> Lose 10 pounds of sweat. Come here, baby. Feel this sweat. <laughs> what was, when did you film in Baltimore? That must have been a lot of summers too, right? Yeah. Baltimore's not like a walk in the park. We did, season two was actually in the winter. I remember one day my mouth froze. I had, I had to practice that. You know, the, the, oh, yeah. the, my mouth literally froze. I, I never had that experience before in, in, until season two of The Wire. But the rest of them were all shot in the summer. Yeah. Um, so I remember- Not cold in the summer. No, it's not. But, it, you know, you get it. It's humid. It was yeah. humid. But the main thing I remember about f- filming in the summers in Baltimore are the cicada seasons. That, that, that Okay, you don't talk about the cicadas. The first time I saw them, I almost jumped into the into the <laughs> the Baltimore Harbor. <laughs> like the world is ending, the sky is falling, the yeah. sky is falling. Have you ever seen cicadas when they come? No. They're the most gentle bugs, but they they'll they'll literally fly in your mouth. They're that they're that ignorant. Like literally fly oh in your God. mouth <laughs> while you're screaming to the world, the world is coming to an end. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what it, how do you feel about what's happened in Brooklyn in the last 15 years? Eh, you know, uh it's it's bittersweet. Um, I, I I I you know, in full disclosure, I live in a very um nice, safe, pretty, white neighborhood. Nothing like Vanderveer projects. Uh, I do long a little bit. I long for the old New York. You know, um, we've got New York has got a little bit uh, a little too sensitive for me. Sometimes I think the town could use an enema. <laughs> um, you know. But uh, um, <laughs> what really uh, I'm concerned about is uh, all the displacement that's going on, on with the gentrification. You know, where are people being put? You know, what does Brownsville look like these days? What does East New York look like these days? What does the South Bronx look like these days? Where are these people going who can't afford the high rents? 
And um, that disturbs me a little bit sometimes. So when Amazon went there in that moment when it seemed like they were coming in, what was that? What was that I, part I of? Was, I, me personally, okay I, I was that? Team Amazon, man. I mean, that 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 that's that that equaled jobs, a lot of jobs in the community that people I know a lot of people could have used. Yeah, you know, um, uh, I my elevator doesn't go that high in regards to what the higher ups of the local politicians why they voted against it, but from my view, that translated into a lot of jobs for people that could have really used it. I was sorry to see that deal fall through. So you feel like Brooklyn still has a lot of the soul that it had 20 years ago? Oh, yes. Their pockets. Right. Oh, yeah. You, just, you could go to Brooklyn and still, like, Coney Island still feels like Coney Island. Shout out to Spumoni Gardens, you know what I mean? L&Bs. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. You know, there's still pockets of Brooklyn that still feel like Brooklyn. I can't, it feels like the entire internet lives there. Everybody who writes <laughs> and does a podcast. Yeah, you can thank Jay-Z for that. <laughs> he made Brooklyn so friggin' sexy. Now the whole world wants to live in Brooklyn. Everybody. Don't move to Brooklyn. There's no more space, people. We have we have a like a 20-person ringer office in Brooklyn. Yeah, bro. Because like we have in all Dumbo. of our people live there. Probably in the Dumbo area. A lot of, lot Where of is offices, it? It's in, right? No, it's in uh yeah. Brooklyn Heights. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't I don't know Brooklyn that well. I don't yeah. every time I go there, I just get confused the whole time. Man, come you you but come yeah. you come hang out with your big brother. I got you, man. We go <laughs> we go eat, get some good food, get some good Caribbean food. <laughs> Caribbean food. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, has anybody ever approached you about doing a movie about you? About your life? You've no, had a pretty no. interesting life. No, sir. No? No, sir. No. You wouldn't do that? I, no one has approached me about <laughs> no, no. You don't think either. he's had an interesting life? Tommy thinks so. Thank you. Yeah, that's like a half-assed shrug from Tommy. You know, we'll call it the my cross, my my cross to bear. That's what my mother calls me. <laughs> yes, my cross to bear. My cross to bear. <laughs> the Michael K. Williams story. <laughs> <laughs> Do you care about the Nets? Yeah, you know they're cool. I'm because you, you might be getting fan. Kyrie Irving this summer yeah, in Brooklyn. Yeah, Good was, luck with him. I heard Kyrie was going to... No, the, good luck with Kyrie. Seriously, seriously? good luck with that dude. I, I I'm a Celtic well. fan. You are? Yeah, we're ready for him to leave. You are? Yeah. Yeah, he caused a lot of attention. So you're a Knicks fan? I am a Knicks fan. All yes, right. I am. Do you go to the games? Yes, I do. Faithfully. What's the Jumbotron reaction for you on the video screen? You know, they they show... that It's always the same clip, the Bulwark Empire clips and, the, and um, the crowd. Yeah, I get a lot of love, man. A lot of love. Yeah. Do you have the pose? What do you do when the camera's on you for the video screen? I'm always interested in this. Because it always stays on like first, seven seconds too long. I grab the sh poor schmuck sitting next to me and I start poking my finger in his face like, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're here. We're here right now. Can you see us? And like, dude, like his neck is like a freaking whiplash. <laughs> it's this nervous reaction. Yeah. Um, this was fun. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. It's good to see you again. Thank good luck you. with everything. I'm going to find that Omar poster on eBay. Thank you. You keep yours. You put, you sign it. Get all the get all the cast to sign it and put it for your charity. I think it would do well. I appreciate Seriously, that. I, th I really thank do. You. Think I'm that going would to do, do well. that. It, you well, should that do that. You don't want. I'm definitely. I'll help do you it. promote that if you do that. I will. All right. Thank all right. you. Thanks for coming up. All right. Thanks to Mark Stein. Thanks to my dad. Thanks to Michael K. Williams. Thanks to DAZN. Don't forget to go to DAZN.com to check it out. Thanks to Whole Lotta, the tasty new fruit nut and seed bar from Cliff Bar. Has all the goodness you want pumpkin seeds, almonds, cashews, dried cherries, or ginger. And it has none of the stuff you don't want. Soft baked, no gluten, soy dairy, or added sugar. None of that stuff. 10 grams of plant-based protein. Go to cliffbar.com slash BS for 35% off a trial pack of Cliff Bar's new whole lot of bars. C-L-I-F bar.com slash BS. Back on Thursday with Rosillo. Until then.